The following is a paid presentation. The views expressed do not necessarily represent those of the staff and management of Shiawassee Radio. Okay, we are live. Hi, what a day. So tonight we're going to talk about, uh, we actually have four big topics. Kilbrew and Cobb's agreements. You know, when you think Kilbrew and Cobb's, you're a baseball fan, you're thinking Harmon Kilbrew and Ty Cobb, but Willem, um, so that means in the criminal set. The Michigan Bar Exam. <clears throat> Results just came out, so people are asking about that. We'll discuss that. Advice for first-term law students. Other than pick another profession. Any importance of sentencing memos on a plea? And I have seven questions. Actually, six questions, but I'm getting some text messages as well. So we'll, we'll answer those questions. About those lions, huh? It was funny. I was with two friends at the Lions game on Sunday. We're all excited about it. And I'm an Eagles fan. So the Eagles are in town. Want to go watch it. You know, and Jewel got me tickets. And the Eagles beat the Lions 44 to 6. Go Broncos. And we're watching the game, right? And it's 44 nothing. And the Lions score a touchdown in the fourth quarter. So now it's 44-6. And the band starts playing. They're like playing music. Like they're celebrating. I just looked around the stadium like, oh my god. These poor people, they expect to lose, don't they? If you really look at the history of the Lions franchise, um, it's amazing the amount of losing. I will say this though, um, and this is an ode to somebody I know. Nobody accused any of us of a false CSC at the Lions game. A couple of years ago, there's this kid at the Lions game, right? And this ass from the Michigan State Police accused him of sexually assaulting a woman at the Lions game. Now, I know at Lions games, usually like 10 people. But with that being said, how the fuck are you going to accuse a kid of sexually assaulting someone at a game when his grandmother, mother, and father are there? What? That organization, you got some issues, man. And how about those Michigan State Spartans? How the hell did the Wolverines lose that game? Up 16, midway through the third quarter. Wow. I don't know how the MSU fan burned himself on the couch he was burning. Like, I guess if you're burning a couch, you shouldn't sit on the couch, right? It's just kind of common sense. I mean, you're going to burn your ass. How are you not going to burn your ass if you're sitting on the couch you're burning? I guess they're better at football than they are the IQ at that machine right now. This is your cell. This is your bunk. This is The Jail Visit on Shiawassee Radio, live from the Cofield Oil and Propane Studios. Here's attorney Bill Amadeo. Okay. One of the questions we'll start with, and then I'll get into the topics. They said, I know you're not a prosecutor, but who are the best prosecuting attorneys you've ever seen at trial? And I will tell you, there's three names that come to mind. Number one, Scott Corner, amazing trial lawyer who did it from the defense and the prosecutor standpoint. Shiawassee guy. He runs that office and he's shorthanded right now. Just won an amazing murder trial. And uh, Angie is somebody you don't mess with in court. Angie's a badass. And Mark Reen up in Tuscola. They, Mark's a great lawyer. They are the three best prosecutorial trial lawyers I've seen. 
The topics. Number one, Killebrew and Cobb's agreements. All right, let's talk about that. This is what we call a sentencing agreement. And a sentencing agreement is an agreement between a prosecutor and a defense lawyer or a judge and a defense lawyer. The Killebrew is with the prosecutor and the defense lawyer. And what they'll do with the sentence agreement is they'll come up with a term before probation gets a look at things. Sometimes it's a downward departure. A downward departure means you look at the guidelines and we're actually sentencing to somebody less than what the guidelines would have. And there's often reasons for that. With the Killebrew agreement, the judge can blow it up. And if the judge blows it up, the defendant has a right to withdraw their plea. That's the big benefit here because if probation says, hey, you know what, let's look at this. We don't like this. We can go back to the drawing board. Definitely during COVID, you got to waive your speedy trial rights on this thing. A Cobbs agreement is more powerful than a Kilbur agreement. A Cobbs agreement is a deal between you and the judge. And often, I know like in Washington right now, they like to do Cobbs memorandums. Now, this is very county specific. I know like in Chi-Town, they're not big in the sentence agreements. In Wayne County, they do nothing but sentence agreements. In Washington, it's very jurist-specific. Some jurists feel, some judges feel like this will tie their hands if there's a sentence agreement in place. And some jurists are so busy they want to move files along. So you really got to know the vibe of your court. You know, some judges will not engage in them. And you see this in a lot of small counties, like up in Cadillac. Sentence agreements are not the thing of the day. So you're rolling the dice of what probation the judge decides when you make a plea. Now, when there's not sentence agreements in play, that usually is an indicator you should go to trial more or less. If there's a guarantee your client's going to get a certain amount of time or probation, depending on the facts of the case, a sentence agreement can be very valuable. The most powerful aspect of the sentence agreement, in my opinion, is that if you don't like what that PSI says or the judge is not going to go along with it, you have a right to pull the play. That's the power of it. And you got to be careful between a plea agreement and a sentence agreement. This is real careful here, guys, especially young lawyers, because you get stumbled on this. A plea agreement, that's when you and the prosecutor are agreeing to a certain plea. That has nothing to do with the sentence. A sentence agreement is what you are determining the sanction should be. You know, I know like in uh, Lapeer, quite often Judge Holoqua will take Cobb's agreements under advisement, which means if he decides not to, he still will give you the option to withdraw your plea. It's a really unique dynamic, and I'm amazed how many lawyers don't know about sentence agreements, and they don't always play out. I've had judges say to me before, we're not doing sentence agreements. I know certain judges won't do certain sentence agreements on certain cases all depends remember this guys it's not a one-size-fits-all proposition but the key to the sentence agreement is it still gives your client a right not to be hurt if the psi comes back horrible yeah we're back to square one so you're not hurt by it now i know <clears throat> there's one probation officer in a county i may or may not work in 
who no longer is in that county, who in my opinion is one of the biggest pieces of shit I know, he would go out of his way to blow up sentence agreements. And what we found out is in a lot of his PSIs, which is the pre-sentence investigation report, he would give illegal sentencings. So if you pled to a five-year felony, hypothetically, what you do is you go to the guidelines. This ass would recommend five years on a five-year um, felony, which that's impossible to do. You got to watch out because many probation officers are great people. I think of Lamar Marshall. I get along with Katie Walls in Washington, Mike Clapp and Shiawassee. Jen Yakey, Teresa Palera, Jill Sells. I go on and on. There's so many great probation officers. There's a couple scumbags out there. The scumbags are the reason the new legislation says the defense lawyer could be at the PSI interview. Because before that legislation was in place, you basically had the probation officer and the defendant one-on-one. -on -one. Now there's actually a right to counsel at PSI interviews. And you guys got to watch that because a lot of probation officers are not going to be wild about you coming to their PSI. In a place like Washington, I have no problem not attending a PSI because they're not going to try to screw somebody over. If I have a Mike Clapp or somebody like that, I'm not going to stand in the way of him doing his job in Shiawassee. There are some other people who I won't name who are scum of the earth. And for those people, got to get in their face, man. You got to get in her face. I had noticed one probation officer who actually went out of his way to destroy a Haida plea because he didn't want people doing Haida. Now, there's a lot of reasons for this. Maybe the guy's got a small d Maybe he failed as a high school baseball player. You know, maybe he should be doing something else other than staying in the small town and trying to get laid. And to that probation officer, I'm going to say this. And I'll say it was not a Wayne County case. Bro, if you were in Wayne, you might get shanked walking to Frank Murphy from the parking lot. So stay out of Detroit where you're bull where you're applying for new jobs. I only hope I get calls when you apply for different positions because I will do anything I can to fuck with your world because you fuck with a lot of innocent kids. The Jail Visit with attorney Bill Amadeo from McManus and Amadeo. Connect with McManus and Amadeo at McManusAmadeo.com or call 800-392-7311. This is The Jail Visit on Shiawassee Radio. The Michigan Bar Exam. Oof, man. Results just came out. Mm. Here's what I could say about the bar exam. Let's talk about passing the bar. Then we'll talk about when you fail the bar. We'll talk about how to beat the bar. You know, let's break it down. People fail the bar frequently after they failed it once already. It's almost like after you failed the bar, you're gun shy when you go back into it. You gotta approach it like this, guys. You really gotta approach it like this. If you failed the bar, there's no shame in that. People fail the bar all the time. And some idiots pass the bar. The bar is about confidence. But if you failed it before, I want you to walk in there like, hey, I've seen this shit before. I can conquer this. When it comes to the bar exam, no matter what anybody says, and trust me on this one, multiple choice rules the day. You can write amazing essays. 
and do dull in your multiple choice, and you could fail. You could be great at multiple choice and write dog essays and pass. Because the bar graders, they don't tell you this, but I've been on the other end of the spectrum. <clears throat> the bar graders know what your MBE score is. Your MBE is your multiple choice, the multi-state bar exam. They put that in Scantron, right? So once they put that in Scantron, then they know what your score is on the black letter law. It's like that first impression. Do I find somebody attractive or do I not find them attractive? Well, that's what the MBE is. You cannot pass the bar exam without kicking ass on multiple choice. Now, 200 multiple choice questions, okay? Four answers to each one. That means when you sit for that bar exam, you have 100 in the morning, 100 in the afternoon, but you have 800 options. 200 questions times four, simple math, right? Where people get burned on the bar exam, in my opinion, with multiple choice, is they look for the right answers. You have to train yourself to look for the wrong answers. If you start eliminating the wrong answers, as opposed to fishing for that right one, you're hedging your bets. Because there's a 75% chance you could delete the wrong answer, as opposed to that 25% chance of finding the right answer. So taking the bar exam, the MCs, it's kind of like hitting a curveball. You look at it a little differently. Go back to my baseball days. If you step up to the plate and you're looking fastball, you can adjust to a curveball. may not be easy, but you can adjust. But if you go up to the plate and you're looking for the curveball and somebody throws a heater by you, you cannot adjust. You can transition to hitting a curveball looking for the fastball. You cannot adjust from hitting the curveball to a fastball. You can't go in the other way. That's the bar exam, guys. You're looking for junk pitches, right? Look for the fastball. Eliminate wrong answers as opposed to trying to find the right answer. Eliminate Latin terms. Latin terms are always wrong on the bar exam. There's a Latin term. It has not been right since 1978. Get rid of that one. You know... A lot of times, old school, lawyers have to learn Latin. So they'll throw things in like revs ipsiloquidor or caveat emptor. When you see a Latin term, just delete it. Get rid of it. If you failed the bar exam, I know some talented people that failed. I know some talented people that failed multiple times. Don't beat yourself up, okay? Life will be hard enough on you. Do not beat yourself the f*** up. But if you ever doubt that you could be a good lawyer, I want you to go down to the courthouse. I want you to look at some of the idiots that are practicing right now. The bar exam is simply a hurdle. It's a hurdle that if you went through three years of law school, I promise you, you could get through the bar exam. The reason people fail when they're repeat takers is because they get in their own head. They feel like they're in quicksand. Did you ever see that movie, The Replacements? Keanu Reeves, he's Shane Falco. He's the quarterback. And they're talking to their coach, Gene Hack, about what, what are you scared of? And he says, quicksand. He explains what quicksand is. You make a mistake on the field. Then you make another. Then you make another. And you're trapped. It's like quicksand. 
But you gotta remember with the bar exam, guys, especially if you failed it, you're not in quicksand. You gotta punch out of that shit. I know a lot of talented minds that failed that bar. Failing the bar does not mean you are a failure or you will fail as a lawyer. But what it does mean is you have to twist and turn and change your mode of studying. If you cannot change your mode of studying, well, then you're not going to make it through. If you failed the bar, we know something went wrong, right? So let's change the pattern. Let's figure out what went wrong. But don't say to yourself, I can't make it through. You went to too much heartache and too much expense to get to the option of taking the bar to just say, fuck it, I'm done. The bar exam, your mode in life should be, can I conquer multiple choice? Forget about essays for a minute, okay? You can always bullshit for an essay and get some points. You gotta get the right answer. And the only way you get that right answer is by eliminating those wrong answers. That is the game, okay? So for you guys out there that failed, I want you to take this piece of advice. Own the MBE. The Michigan bar, and there's a lot of bars we could talk about, okay? I've passed several, but let's talk about Michigan for a minute. If you do good in the multiple choice, and you issue spot, because they're short essays, I know they're going UBE, I believe now, but and this is universal. Issue spotting on essays will get you points. Forget the analysis. You don't need to do the traditional IRAC, or the IRFRC, as some people say. I remember at the ARC, the Academic Resource Center, my first term. We'll talk about first term in a minute. They were talking about the IRFRC. That was like a <laughs> Jeanette Buttry's way of teaching essays. On the bar exam, forget what you learned about technique in law school. You gotta change things up. If you write both sides of every issue, you'll run out of time. You gotta hit all those essays. You win the bar by winning the multiple choice. I promise you, if you own multiple choice, you'll get your name on that passage list. That's the biggest piece of advice. I will talk to people independently about this. As far as paying lawyers for bar appeals, for every point you're short, you got to get two points on the appeal. So be careful with that. It's a lot of lawyers out there to make money on bar appeals, and it's a pretty heightened bar. Um, I would say if you're over three points, don't waste your money on the appeal. You have the best appeal in the world, but you have to earn six points on those three, and it's a pretty heightened. If you're down by five, don't try it. I've only had to take it once in Jersey and Michigan, but I think the LSAT took like 12 times. Like, I had dyslexia. I have dyslexia. And that was a nightmare for the law school admission test. And I think the LSAT is pure bullshit. But with that being said, I had to take the LSAT 12 times. I opened it like four times a year, and I just kept taking it over and over again. And I like C words in reverse sometimes, and that was daunting. I had to learn to do um, like different learning techniques and mechanisms to overcome my dyslexia, if you would, or control it. Uh, the bar exam was a little different. The bar exam, I figured if I don't pass this, I was taking the New Jersey bar in 2008. If I don't pass the Jersey bar, um, I'm going to go back to Jersey and bartend the rest of my life. And I think bartending is a noble profession, but 
I'm pretty sure I would have just killed somebody if I had to bartend the rest of my life. It just wasn't for me anymore. So there's a lot of motivation to pass the bar exam. To me, failing the bar was going to be an indictment on me that I was not this uh, great legal mind. And I had so many enemies back in Jersey, I didn't want to prove them right. So that was that. Michigan was a whole different ball game. Uh, I was, eh. I love Michigan so much because I hate Jersey. The Jail Visit with attorney Bill Amadeo from McManus and Amadeo. Connect with McManus and Amadeo at McManusAmadeo.com or call 800-392-7311. This is The Jail Visit on Shiawassee Radio. Topic three. What advice do you give the first-term law students? Okay, number one. If you want to do this, right? You want to take that plunge. You got to make it your life. You cannot be going out and getting laid. You cannot watch every football game on Saturday and Sunday. Um, you got to be like on a mission. I'm going to study. I'm going to lift weights. I'm going to eat properly. It is a regiment, in my opinion. I remember my first couple years in law school, which was a telltale sign. I'd be in a library. Um, the library would shut down at midnight back then. I think it was 24 hours later in time, but library shut down at 11 o'clock or midnight, and I would be there, like one of the last ones there. Then I'd go home, and I studied more. My study in the apartment was never as powerful as my study in the library. Um, I just feel like I ought to be in that conducive learning environment. But for your first term of law school, you got to work your ass off. Now, here's the bullshit. You're going to have some assholes that are going to tell you how to do it. Let's cut the bullshit. You want to do good in law school? Here's the deal. Do as much multiple choice as you can. Let's take Cooley, for example. If you go to Cooley, download every exam on the portal. Every one of your professor's exams. Look at the ones with model answers. Read those model answers like you're reading a magazine article or an article on ESPN.com. Professors are creatures of habit. You're reading those answers. They're going to ask the same stuff over and over again. Get familiar with their language. You want to speak the language. But the reality is, if you don't do good in multiple choice, this is where the bar is similar to your first term of law school. And law school in general, they got a bad impression of you. Got to kill that black letter law, okay? Then you control the essays. Some professors, they'll deny it. Some literally won't even read your essays. They'll just go on the multiple choice, which is up. The other thing you want to do at law school, and I always told this to people, and people don't like this. When you're done with your notes in class, go right to the library, because it's fresh in your mind, okay? And take notes from the keys in class. If you do that after every class, you made your outline. Law students fall in the quicksand because they do a few things wrong, especially first term. Number one, don't listen to the Academic Resource Center, all right? They'll tell you the importance of briefing. Briefing means nothing. You get 0% of the school like Cooley for participation. 
you should read the text and download the briefs online. So you get called on a class, you could talk about it. But how you perform that Socratic method doesn't mean anything. What they do in law school quite often, you have a three-hour class, right? So they'll do attendance, there'll be a couple bathroom breaks, and they'll make students do the Socratic method, which is just reciting the case. In reality, the professor probably teaches about 30 minutes of actual law. It's bullshit, the whole thing. So what you do in class is not really relevant to how you'll do on the exam. You win your first term of law school and law school in general by the time you spent in the library, by the sacrifices you make. Let me be real. Law school is not good for relationships. It don't work. You know, they don't work. And I know there's stories out there. Let me be real with you. You have to live it, breathe it, and eat it. 24-7. And you know what? If it's not for you, get out early. Get out early before you get into a bunch of financial aid debt. But doing the multiple choice, doing your key outlines immediately after each class, take a 20-minute hit to the library. That girl or guy will be there another time, okay? you got to bust your ass there. It's got to be your top priority in life. And download those essays off the portal. Read those essay answers like you're reading a god novel. Get familiar with the professor's text. Don't listen to other people, okay? People will tell you, hey, we're going to a party, we're doing this, we're doing that. Your first two years of law school can be part of the equation. I can't tell you how many social events I didn't participate in. For me, law school was this. It was my one shot. That was it. I don't get through law school. I can't support Aunt Mary and Mom. I can't support Aunt Mary and Mom. I'm not a man. I always figured there will be other times for socialization. And I made some really good friends in law school. Brian Largy, great politician. Um, there's people like John Granger and stuff. I talk to these people all the time. I like them. But... There was limitations in law school. Chris, to me, failure could not be an option. It just couldn't be. Not because I'm smart than anybody else. I, you know, my intellect, I know some people think I'm, like, brilliant. That's up for debate, okay? That's subjective. How smart you are, how intelligent you are, that is completely subjective. What's objective, what's key to law school in the bar exam is your work ethic. Nobody will f***ing outwork me ever. It's like playing basketball. It's always a lousy shooter. Okay. Can't shoot, can't do this, can't do that. But what you can do, you get on the ground for loose balls. You can play defense. That's about passion. That's about heart. You will be a great lawyer by coming into the office at 2 o'clock in the morning on Friday night to win a case. It consumes you, and law school needs to consume you. And if you don't want to consume you, that's fine. Everybody's got a different method, all right? This is not for everybody, and nor should it be for everybody. Because I don't think I'm better than anyone because I'm a lawyer. I really don't. But I feel I'm a better lawyer than other lawyers, many other lawyers, because I want it that bad. I want to work my ass off. And, yeah, you know, I, I look at Wayne Gretzky. Wayne Gretzky once said, 
he loves practicing. To me, no matter how exhausted it gets, and let me tell you, there's days you just want to jump out the fucking window. I get it. But if you love writing those memos, you love doing those briefs, you love litigating, you love prepping the cross-examination, if you love that, you'll excel. But if you hate it, if you're looking at it for a means to an end, you might be fine for a little while, but it's going to catch up with you. Grain Gretzky, I love the practice. Okay, I love doing this. And that helped me push through law school. There are many more intelligent people than me, IQ test-wise, that are not lawyers today. Because they couldn't, you know, make the sacrifice. It wasn't about brains. It was about that party on Thursday night. Do you want to go to the party on Thursday night or do you want to do an extra 100 multiple choice? To me, it wasn't even an option. I want to do this extra 100 multiple choice. And many people that don't make it through law school, I find be very successful in other fields of life. But if you're miserable in law school, it's not the answer. Okay, you have to embrace it if you want it. And if you can't embrace it, don't do it. There's no shame in many other professions. Trust me on that. But if this is your dream, pedal to the metal. Work ethic will overcome intellect any f***ing day of the week. That's reality. The Jail Visit with attorney Bill Amadeo from McManus and Amadeo. Connect with McManus and Amadeo at McManusAmadeo.com or call 800-392-7311. This is The Jail Visit on Shiawassee Radio. The importance of sentencing memos when doing the plea. God, I hate this. I cannot stand when I see lawyers do pleas on felony cases and don't do a sentencing memo. Okay, what the sentencing memorandum is, is yeah, but. Your client has pled guilty or no contest to a crime, right? You have to tell the judge and probation, yeah, but. Yeah, but means here's another part of the story. Do not just look at this register of actions. Do not just look at the scoring guidelines. Look at this. You're the f***ing cheerleader for your client with a sentencing memo. A sentencing memo should include the facts of the case in one way or another, the personal family background of your client, their socioeconomic status, their education, physical issues, mental health issues, and a conclusion which is sending a message home. You want to do something outside of the law. I've always been told I am not a great legal writer, which I think is up for debate with some motions lately, but I'll be humble here. But the sentencing memo, okay, that comes with my journalism background. A sentencing memo is the law. Let me tell you about Tim. Let me tell you about Tim's life. Let me tell you what Tim's been through. Let me tell you the story of what brought Tim to your court. And more importantly, let me tell you what Tim has potential to do if he gets a lower sentence. You gotta put it in there, man. In the federal court system, they're mandatory. In the state court system, they should be. I cannot stand when I see lawyers on plea deals not do fucking sentencing memorandums. Sentencing memo is one of the most powerful tools in the judicial system, and it's not used enough. It should be mandatory. How I will tell you right now, sometimes on misdemeanors I write them. 
you know, and then it depends on the vibe of the judge, okay? Like, you know, if you're looking at a 93-day misdemeanor, not all judges want to read a sentencing memo. If you're in certain counties where they might lock you up for 20 days or 30 days on a 93-day misdemeanor, you should do the memo. You need to know your audience. That's number one rule. Know your f***ing audience. God, I hate that. I mean, does it kill a lawyer to write a f***ing sentencing memo? I can't stand lazy f***ing lawyers. I also can't stand people that lie and pretend to be community activists, but that's a story for another time. You don't lie about me, I won't tell the truth about you. <laughs> anyway, sentencing memos are required, in my opinion. For you lawyers out there not doing them, get off your ass and do them. And for you lawyers out there that charge your client extra for a sentencing memo, that's just f***ed up, dude. Come on. If you can't give a couple hours of your time, of your time, to help advocate for your client, you really need to find a different profession. And there was this one firm. I didn't work with them. It's not Grable and Associates, not McMass and Amadeo. Because I, I will say this as humbly as I can. They are two f***ing badass firms. Scott Grable's taught me so much about crime law. He's a god mentor. You know, I want to kill him sometimes. He is a god mentor. And me and Matt, the difference with those firms and many others, we do f***ing put our clients first. And there was one firm I was doing some work with on the side as a favor to them. And I did a sentencing memo, right? And I got this guy probation. He was looking at 15 years in prison. I got him probation on this deal. I did a sentencing memo. And the leader of that firm, who I no longer work with, says, Oh, how long did you spend on the memo? I don't know. Two and a half hours. Well, tell us about that. Well, I got some supporting documents. I looked up this guy's educational system, his educational records. I did all these things, make it look real pretty. This was a county where they don't do sentence agreements, so I was rolling a lot. And by the way, when they don't have a Cobbs or a Kilbrew in place, this comes full circle, the sentencing memo becomes even a heightened priority. You need the fucking dome. So, I got my check from this firm, right? And there was like an extra few hundred bucks in there. And I said to the guy that owned the firm, I said, oh, we agreed to X amount of dollars. You gave me like extra 300 or something. Goes, oh, well, I charged a client um, for the sentencing memo and I like split the bill between me and you. You charged him extra for a sentencing memo? After you had a flat fee retainer? What the f*** is wrong with you, dude? Literally, I, I wrote a check for the 300 Say, you, you keep the 300 or, you know, and then we got into a big thing. So I literally sent the client a $300 check back, and I said, here you go, man. Uh, I wasn't your client, but this is for you. I didn't want extra blood money from this guy. You know, we make a lot of money as lawyers. We really do, man. <laughs> We're lucky enough to put on a suit and tie every day and have people hang on our every word overrate us intellectually i mean let's be real i mean i'm smart but really am i not smart to have all those followers i mean it depends right but you know i think sometimes people just want to hear me talk as opposed to hear me think can you hear someone think but we make a load of money do you have to bleed someone and I, I left a lot of money on the table last year. Somebody said to me today, they're chasing down a client. One of my biggest curses 
We made a lot of money last year, so I'm not complaining, but getting cases dismissed too early when a client owes you money gives... They don't have much motivation to pay you at that point. My biggest advice to young lawyers is get as much money as you can up front. And I don't really have a problem doing that. But when there is money owed, when the crim case is over, there's not a ton of motivation. So it goes two ways. One, get paid a fair rate as much as you can up front. Two, don't your client off, okay? Don't overcharge them for things that are just part of our job requirement. And number three, if you get that killer result and they still owe you money, you may not get that money. You can send the collections. Not really my style. Biggest thing I always say when somebody stiffs me for a couple grand or something, like, oh, you know, lose my number. And believe me, they'll need me again. And then if they come back, well, now they're going to pay through the nose because you screwed me. But, you know, you got to get me to that point. Don't make me be an ass. I'll work with you financially. But, I mean, if you me over it, you are going to need me again. Then I'm going to you over. Not my style. Thank you for your insight. Alright, so we have... We have a few questions in Texas that came in. Let's go through them. Is there ever a reason to waive a preliminary examination? Yeah, this is county specific. In Shiawassee, I think waiving the prelim is a very valuable tool. Um, here's why. One, usually the case is going to get bound over anyway, right? You may not want to preview the case. May want to lock in a story from the police reports. And I will tell you this. There's been times when I've waived prelims and the prosecution, not Shiawas, but in other counties, when they won't look at the case until, you know, like a week before, without the prelim, it could cripple their case. Sometimes it's strategic. Um, in a place like Wayne, you know, waving's not the move. Wayne County, you gotta go balls to the wall. You know, you go balls to the wall on that because you might get a better plea by kicking ass at the prelim, or you might get the case dismissed. You might want to build a record. It's a lot that goes into that. But, you know, waiving a prelim, if you're setting your client up for a plea, or you're playing poker, and I, you know, I play a lot of poker, people know that. To me, a prelim's about a poker game. I had a case in a county that starts with a letter towards the end of the alphabet. And, um, I wanted to really f*** with this prosecutor who's a pure piece of garbage. And I sent them my cross-examination questions. And they didn't know what to do. And I said, here, hit my f***ing fastball. This is for you. To see the look on their face was fascinating. And by the way, this was not Shiawassee. Think of a letter after S. You know, certain counties are like the Wild West, and how you behave in certain counties may be acceptable, you know, in one way or another. Every county is a different language. Learn that language, or you cannot communicate. So waving a prelim could be very strategic. 
Also, if you have a um a judge that you think is going to compromise your individual's bond, that could be another reason for it. Depends, man. You gotta know the temperature of the court. And I will say this: if you see me running a prelim, watch out for that. In Ross Common. You should probably run the prelim because they don't give you a ton of great offers at district court as you move forward on a felony. But don't expect Judge Noble to do anything but bound it over. If you have a client like a murder case where there's no bond anyway, you got nothing to lose. Yeah, Ross Common's an interesting place. I don't do a ton of work out there, but I will tell you, it's only one district court judge, and they're probably just going to bound it over no matter what you did. But sometimes you might want to build a record. Question two, how do you feel about the public defender's office? They didn't mention the county here. Um, I'm going to go Washington first, and I'll go Shiawas, and I'll go Wayne. I think Delphia Simpson and Washington is a brilliant mind. Uh, I think they do a good job. Lauren and Ron Brown are really good lawyers. Mike Gaddy is a good lawyer. Rob Dawid went over to the prosecutor's office, unfortunately, because he was a damn fine public defender. There's some really good public defenders. Um, Emma Lawton's good. Here's the problem with the public defender's office, in my opinion. They're highly overworked, you know, but they do have some fine lawyers, but it's such a revolving door there. Um, somebody told me that Story McGee is now working in the Washington Public Defender's Office. I don't actually know Stormy McGee, but I've heard good things about her when she was a prosecutor. It's always interesting when a prosecutor flips over to the defense side. And when a prosecutor does that, it's good to know because they have some playbook knowledge, somebody to really learn from there. So I don't know Stormy, but I, I'm sure she'll do a good job in Washington. I think they have a really fine Public Defender's Office. It's just such a ton of volume. That it's difficult for any public defender's office coming off COVID. I don't know a PD's office that is not overworked. Wayne County, um, that takes overwork to another level. You know, they got the Neighborhood Defenders Program. And they have a um, lot of court-appointed guys out there, guys and girls. Wayne is just, you know, it, it is the Wild West out there. So there's a lot of good lawyers in Wayne that do court appointed work and Shiawassee, I know Doug Corwin and Amy Houston do a great job with that public defender's office. I think public defenders in general get a bad reputation. I really do. You know, and people say, okay, well, you're not a public defender. Yeah, I mean, understand something. My job is generally easier than the public defenders and nobody's gonna question my work ethic. That's what we're talking about. I want a private polygraph done. I want a sexual evaluation done. You know, I want a private investigator hired. I tell my clients, hey, write a check. Let's go. The PD's office do not always have the funds to do all those bells and whistles. So a retained lawyer should not really be compared to a public defender's office. I don't see myself ever um, really running for office. I know a lot of people wanted me to run for circuit court judge in Washington in 2022 when Judge Brown retires. Um, I'm not because there is one person that may run who I think is a f amazing candidate. 
and I will get behind this individual financially, emotionally, whatever the hell this person needs. Because this person belongs on the f***ing bench. And I mentioned this person, I won't mention them by name, but I will say this. This person is so much more mature and level-headed than me. This individual is the perfect candidate for a judge. And when the time comes, when they announce, I'm going to be screaming from the f***ing rooftop for this person. And whoever is going to run against this individual, I am deemed your f***ing enemy. This person should be in office already. With that being said, if and when they run. Going back to the point here, the only position in government I would ever consider is running a public defender's office. And I don't think Delvia Simpson's leaving, so that's not going to happen in Washington. I will say, if I were to run a PD's office, I'm pretty sure I'd be deemed a tyrant. Because some of the things I would want done, Doug Corwin and Delphia are better figures for a position like that than myself. Because I'm pretty sure people would be quitting on me left and right. Want these f***ing memos done now, want this, want that. Public defenders get a bad reputation, and that's not cool. And let me tell you, public defenders should be paid on the same par as a prosecutor. Why are they not? If we really want to see people engage as public defenders, they should be paid more money. And I will tell you this, I know a lot of my counterparts won't agree with this. If there was a fund to donate some of our retained money to help public defenders get paid more, I would be down. Tax me on that shit. I'm not a public defender because I'm used to people. I say 30 grand or 100 grand a case, like, okay. PDs don't, sometimes don't make that in a year and they deserve more money. Wait, here's a question from Mike. If you practice a defense lawyer in certain counties, do you still have to take a certain amount of public defense cases? Um, I remember the old days when you could take a couple cases a year. Here's the deal, Mike. There's a difference between public defense and court-appointed. If you do court-appointed work, you can do multiple counties. If you're a public defender, usually employed by that. And all lawyers are supposed to do, I think, 50 hours of pro bono a year. I think we hit that by February. <laughs> Question three, do you ever do court-appointed work? Well, that was ironic. Yeah, here's the funny thing about that. No, generally I don't do court-appointed work. Um, the PD office in Port Huron needed some work done uh, for 70 bucks an hour. And I went out there just to do a few cases because I like the public defender out there. He asked me to jump in. I don't think they really want me there. Um, I started doing like sentencing memos and going to jail visits at midnight. It's only 70 bucks an hour, but you know, as a general rule, I don't. I, I do some court appointed work if Doug Corwin needs me on like a conflict and it's like a major case. But uh, in general, court appointed lawyers get a bad reputation and it wouldn't be good for business. And I have 276 active cases. So as a general rule, I don't do court appointed work. Never have, but. If there's a conflict or a PD office needs me to jump in, if they're concerned about the issue getting appealed, I will jump in on those situations. But as a general rule, no. Um, I think court appointed work's good work. I just, it's a financial decision not to really do court appointed work right now. But it's certainly noble work. And uh, 
I'd recommend any young lawyer do as much quarter point of work as they can. I think you learn stuff doing that. And I think it's a good thing. I just don't have a ton of time for it right now. So if I do it, it's a favor to someone. How can you communicate with a client in jail? I'm assuming this question is during COVID because, you know, pre-COVID, you just went through the jail. Now, when there's COVID outbreaks and stuff like that, it becomes much more daunting. You got to set up Zoom calls. You got to set up protected lines for phone calls, and that could be problematic. It could be really problematic. I do not believe that those calls are safe. Um, you should always yell, this is attorney-client privilege. So if a prosecutor is being dirty and listening, you cover your ass on some regard. But I always tell people, I'm just not comfortable on the call or the Zoom. I need to see face-to-face, man-to-man or man-to-woman, whatever it is. And it's become much more difficult during um, COVID. Yeah, Mike, with court-appointed, same rules apply, yeah. But public defenders, they actually are employed by the county, so they're really they're locked in. But court appointed have a lot more freedom. But we're all supposed to do pro bono cases. We're all supposed to do that. Not everybody does, but they recommend fifty hours a year. I think we um we're probably at about three hundred hours or something like that this year. There's a reason I don't do intakes. I feel bad when I do an intake. So I have somebody case manager does the intakes. And they'll get generate the information. That case manager is invaluable. Question five. Oh, five already. Okay. I failed out of law school. It's been two years. I really want to be a lawyer. Does failing out mean I cannot? Fuck no. Let me tell you something. The year was two thousand three. I went to the trial admission program at Widener School of Law. And for six weeks without financial aid, I got a leave of absence from Tropicana, and I went to this program. And I do think the program was bullshit. I think they knew who they wanted before time. There was some politics involved, but I killed it up there, and they didn't take me. And I didn't know, you know, like, I couldn't get in the widener. What do I do? And, you know, Cooley, Cooley and me have some issues, man. There's some drama there. But I always appreciate Cooley giving me a shot. I actually think sometimes failing at a law school or not getting into school at first, you know, it makes you a better lawyer at the end of the day. If you go to an ABA accredited school and you fail out, you got to wait two years. Figure out what went wrong the first time. It usually is an intellect. It could be work ethic. It could be technique. But whatever. If you want it, fix it. There's absolutely zero shame in failing at a law school. But I think there's shame in failing at a law school and wanting to be a lawyer, not trying again. I don't feel there's shame in just failing out. Things can happen. you know. And I think people fail out because they listen to the wrong people. You know, they listen to people how to study and this and that. I probably gave you more valuable information on studying in a few minutes on Facebook Live than a lot of people you'll pay big money to. Watch your back. You know, tutoring can be a scam with some people. I know when I tutored, God, it was a passion to me. He got played on that. I know some other people that had other tutoring services and stuff, and it was a money grab. You got to watch yourself because you're so vulnerable. Like, you want to buy magic fucking beans. And if you don't listen to the right people, you get burned. So be careful with that. But. Failing at a law school does not mean you cannot be a lawyer. 
get back on the horse that's what you want to do and i don't know you you emailed me if you want to talk further i'll be happy to discuss it with you there's options out there okay but let, we'll talk about the pros and cons if you want to spend like 20 minutes over a phone call we could talk about that but don't give up seriously question six have you ever had a client not pay their bill <laughs> talk about tutoring or um lawyering so here's what i learned in tutoring and there's some people i was pat jones and joe latarski and scott lapierre some great people right they were a bunch of douchebags too i tutored and like they would find ways not to pay their bullshit tutoring bills and it used to frustrate me i'm like wow and i cared so much i'd be doing extra sessions and they're trying to screw you a few hundred dollars i mean i would wipe my ass for that money today but it was funny how people look at you differently you're still a lawyer but when you're just a tutor they feel they can take advantage of you as a lawyer usually they're going to come with enough money up front and you're going to get stiff sometimes okay like i mentioned this earlier if you bang out a case quickly and they owe you some money you're vulnerable to that and when you're vulnerable to that you can do a couple things you can destroy their credit make their life hell and you just say it move forward I have a guy who I actually emailed yesterday. He had a, let's just say a relative. Multiple cases across multiple counties. And I knew I wasn't going to get paid halfway through. It was a, just a nightmare amount of work. And I knew I was this kid's only shot. So I decided to stay on. I could have withdrawn in a heartbeat. Yeah, you know, I didn't want. I knew if I did withdraw, this kid would have went to prison. So I stayed on the case, and everything got taken care of. Got his face like thirty years in prison, not doing one day in jail. It was like fucking magic work. This county, that county, this felony, yeah, blah 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 blah. Competencies were filed and bond violated. It was a fucking nightmare. And I emailed him yesterday, and I said, "Listen." You didn't pay me, and that's fine, bro. I don't need the f***ing money today. I'll live. But lose my number. Have your relative lose my number. We're done. And you got to be careful with that because to me, um, it's like if you have somebody's life in their, in their hands, it, there's some things bigger than money. Josh Champlain with a question. How do you feel about Judge Stewart ruling against the commissioner challenges against recall petitions? <laughs> well, I usually am in favor of Judge Stewart's rulings. Good job. Man, Root Garber, Plowman, Marks. What a band of idiots. Jesus. I remember Cindy Garber once telling me how the people have spoken when they put them in there. Didn't she call Marlene Webster a crybaby? That was before she, or she didn't wear her panties to that meeting or something like that. It, it's a weird group, man. How's that Lego company coming? Are Root and Garber still doing a Lego thing? How's Boggs? Did he get a stipend for new bow ties? I don't know. Good job, Judge Stewart. Right on point as always. Alright guys, have a good night. Enjoy your week. I'm Bill Amadeo. I approve this message.
The proceeding was a paid presentation by McManus and Amadeo PLLC. Listeners of this program should contact their attorney to obtain advice with respect to any particular legal matter. No listener should act or refrain from acting on the basis of information within this program without first seeking legal advice from counsel in the relevant jurisdiction. Only your individual attorney can provide assurances that the information and your interpretation of it is applicable or appropriate to your particular situation. Listening to this program using any associated website or related links or resources does not create an attorney-client relationship between the listener and host, contributors, or contributing law firms. All liability with respect to actions taken or not taken based on the contents of this program are hereby expressly disclaimed. You and your loved ones deserve a criminal defense firm that believes that your life and freedom are worth fighting for. Matt McManus, Bill Amadeo, and the McManus and Amadeo team of attorneys, investigators, and case managers will take the lead with a vast knowledge and legal experience across the state of Michigan to get the best possible result for you. Learn more at McManusAmadeo.com. Schedule a free consultation 24-7 by calling 800-392-7311.